Welcome to Uphill Conversations, your ride-along partners for your emerging future. Everything in life worth having is uphill. You can't go uphill with downhill habits. It's time for another show with your host, Tim Figueroa and Megan Finner. Are you ready to be inspired? Welcome to Uphill Conversations. I'm your host, Megan. And I'm Tim. And we're glad you can join us as you're living your life and heading towards your emerging future. Hopefully, you're eliminating any downhill habits and canceling out all agreements with limiting beliefs. And yes, it is true. You can be more, do more, and have more. So, hey, Tim. What's going on? Oh, man, not much. Um... I mean, Christmas is right around the corner. Christmas. 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 My tree's been up since the uh, the day after Thanksgiving. I know. You're like Johnny on the spot. Ours was a week later. I'm a little Griswold. <laughs> but prettier lights in a nicer tree. Yeah. Um, oh, my gosh. I have such a funny story to tell you. What is that? Okay. So, you know the elf on the shelf? Mm-hmm. So, Eileen. Now, I think will it they was, hear this? What? Will they hear any of this? Oh, no, no. So, okay. and it's not about that. So, I... Eileen, um, she had kind of a bad day at school. And so she is, you know, really, really smart, but she uh, has discovered, you know, fibbing. So basically at school, she wanted a cheese stick um, for snacks. So she told the teacher that she didn't have one so that she could get a cheese stick. Uh, she, didn't, she didn't have a snack. Well, she had like four in her book bag. So the teacher finds out. <laughs> and so she got orange at school. Which is bad. You know, you get a note home. And so, you know, she's home. We're talking to her about it. And, you know, we had some consequences at home. And right before it's time to go to bed, she just starts bawling. And we're like, Eileen, what is going on? Like, you're going to have a better day tomorrow. She's like, Hazel's going to tell Santa I've been bad. And she was losing her mind because she was so worried that Hazel was going to tell Santa that she was bad and she wasn't going to get any presents. And so, so we literally had to say like, okay, let's come and tell Hazel that you're sorry. (laughs) She was like sobbing. (laughs) Hazel might be a good treatment for just in general, just oh my hand gosh. out hazels to people. <laughs> it was like the funny. I mean, she wasn't. She she was just so upset. It wasn't because there were consequences at home. It wasn't that her teacher was upset. It was that Hazel the elf was going to go tell Santa and jeopardize, you know, her Christmas. Whatever her Christmas would be like. <laughs> yes. That was the whole thing. Yes. So it didn't matter what you say. No. It's all about that one time of year. Yeah. That's why they say it's the most wonderful time (laughs) of the year, right? Yeah. So, well, that's that's really cool. Um, (laughs) I, uh, yeah, that I couldn't imagine. My mom would have loved that back in the day. Well, now they have like the you can call Santa. Like they have the line you can call Santa Claus. I. I do call Santa. (laughs) So for anybody has kids listening right now, I know him. (laughs) I know him. Like, not like the Elf movie either. I call Santa. I have his number. So any of you want it, it's 555, area code 5, or country code 5, 555-555-5555. I thought it would be like 555-555-SNOW, S-N-O-W. Well, that's the new number. Oh. You have the new one. That's, that's line the alternate two. number. Well, that's the, yeah, that's yeah. the line two. Yeah. That one gets you to Mrs. Claus. Mrs. Claus. And you don't want, yeah, because if she's not happy, 
Nobody's going to no, be happy. No, that's true. So, um, yeah, uh, I have a question for you okay. that um, I hope you uh, will enjoy answering. Okay. And so, hold on a second. I've done this several times now where very, I'm losing. It makes me very nervous whenever you ask me a question. Why does it make you nervous? Because I feel like you find these very um, unexpected things to ask me. Well, because that's what I am. I'm unpredictable <laughs> and unexpected. Yeah. So, what is the worst handmade gift you've ever given to somebody? That I've ever given? Yeah, you made it, and you knew it was bad, and you did it, <laughs> and you know it was bad. You just threw it together. We don't have to say who it's to. Well, hopefully they're not listening. But what's the worst handmade gift? Something that you kind of put together. I don't even know. I'm. Do you not make handmade gifts? I, honestly, uh, I really am not a very crafty person i think that i was when i was a kid okay so i'll have you i have another i had a backup question just in case you didn't have okay. this one. i mean i do i do make a lot of the handmade gifts i've made for people have generally been good because i don't do things i'm not good at okay for christmas no that's cool okay yeah. so how about this one okay okay so i want you to tell me what gift have you regifted and acted like you were proud of it and happy about it like, it was like, oh, I really thought about you. Um, you know what I mean? Like, just one of those things you had, and you're like, I'm just giving them this. <laughs> Usually I tell people, though, that it's a re-gift. Like, I so you even it. tell? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, no, I'm trying to think if I have one like that. Um, no, I think usually I'm, I suck at these questions because I have re-gifted things. Like, I gave you that little teapot the other day, but I told you my mom got it for me. And I never used it, and I thought of you. But it wasn't this big wrapped up thing where it almost, I'm talking like it's a present. It's almost like you gave it to them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, thank you. <laughs> like, I'm so, talking like. So I haven't done that for Christmas, but I have done that with kids. It could be any gift. With like kids' birthday presents. I've done that. You've done that. Yeah, because Eileen will get like so many, and we put some of them in the closet and kind of like bring them out later when she was younger, you know, mm -hmm. before she would really know. And so I'd go in there and be like, is there anything I can give to like another kid? <laughs> um, <laughs> because, you know, she doesn't need all that stuff. But, it's, but that's a that's good because it's practical too. Yeah. And what's the kid going to do and go, this is regifted? Yeah. No, they're not. They're not so, even going to, they're going to be like, oh, look, no kid's going to do that. No. Adults will. They'll be like, yeah. oh, I wonder really, like yeah. when you leave, yeah. see if you do that whole package, did up, gave it to somebody, yeah. like it's kind of like, you know, the glow. Like I thought like, of them. Like, the like I was out, super yeah. thoughtful. So it's like, you know, someone likes barbecuing and you get them the outdoor glowing mitt. <laughs> so you can find it when it's dark and you have lights. Okay, but do you but understand what I mean? how could you find it when it was dark if it wasn't charged up? No, but I mean, it's like the, the whole thing is it just glows. Oh, because, it's not like glow in the dark. It's like a, it has its own light source. Yeah, just kind of, yeah. Okay. So that okay. way you don't have to worry about it and you know where it is so you don't burn yourself. Right. Right. But you still can't see your food that you're flipping. You just know where the mid <laughs> is. But I mean, you give it to them and when yeah. you leave after giving that gift, they're like, Pfft. Yeah. They just, that, <laughs> I, they offloaded this. Yeah, I don't think I've ever done that with an adult. But the thing is, um, you know, my family, we did gifts a lot when we were, when we were kids. Um, but usually, usually the gifts that we get are pretty good. And if I get something that I don't really like, I still have, like, I still have things that I've probably never used. Um, just because I still look at them and think that it was a really nice for someone to think of me. But, um, like my friends in high school and stuff, we really didn't get gifts for each other. And even my sister this year, she said, what do you want? And I said, I would love it if you just took a weekend off work and came down to visit me. So our guest, our guest. So we have two guests, mm -hmm. guests, 
guestesses. Yeah, that's kind of like ghosts. People don't usually enunciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's like so. We have well, two guests. Yes, two guests, and just so you know, there will be a little challenge in the audio. Mm-hmm. So it's a digital world, even though we can do some stuff. So just yeah. for those of you that listen to this interview today, um, our our one of the guests, the audio was um, not captured properly. And so towards the end, it'll heat right up. But we're having to bump the audio on that. So we apologize. We usually it's not we it's I can't even put any of this on Megan because, I mean, that is like my big thing. Big, you know, quality is everything for me. So, um, yeah, I dropped the ball, didn't pay attention to something. There was an update that was needed. I didn't do it. So fail. And, but it's good. You'll still be able to hear it. And, uh, but you will see a, a, a slight difference between the two voices, but we get it fixed at the end mm-hmm. and we're doing the best we can in the middle, but the quality and the content is there. We have Jamie Patterson and Dr. Greg Pickett from Clemson MBA program. And we actually had Jamie on our other podcast, our Young Professionals podcast, talking around mentorship. And uh, if you haven't listened to that one, I encourage you to do that because um, it's really great. But we invited her to come back with Greg and uh, just had a great conversation with them around innovation in education. Because um, obviously, as we continue to progress, and you know, we've talked about this, it creates some challenges, but it also creates great opportunity. Uh, so we really, we really enjoyed talking with them. And they were wonderful people to have uh, a great mix of people and thought, and they work well together, and you'll, it, it translates very well um, into our discussion. Um, we would love it if you would reach out to us, uh, Tim at UphillConversations.co or Megan at UphillConversations.co. You can find us on Facebook, Uphill Conversations, or our website, UphillConversations.co. And if you get a chance... We would love it if you listen to our Uphill Conversations with Young Professionals, UCYP. And that web address is ucyp.co. And always remember, you can go to Stitcher and iTunes rate and review the show. We would love it if you would do that because we like that. We do. So without any further delay, let's jump into this great conversation with Jamie and Greg. So, hey, everyone, welcome to Uphill Conversations. We have with us Jamie and Greg. Hey, let's do something. Let's start with Jamie. Jamie, tell us a little bit about who you are, how you show up in the world. And then, Greg, it's your turn after that. Well, thank you so much for having us. I'm Jamie Patterson. I'm Director of Career Services and Student Experience for the Clemson MBA program. So I have the pleasure of working with all of our students from a student services standpoint as well as a placement standpoint. Um, I work with all the companies in the area in terms of recruiting. And I have the pleasure of working with this guy, Dr. Greg Pickett, every single day. I'm Greg Pickett, and I'm a Senior Associate Dean for the College of Business at Clemson University. And have the great pleasure of serving as our MBA director and director of Greenville One, which is our downtown operations. I got to meet the both of you in the one building at an event where um, there was uh, uh, Pamela Evett was, Evett was able to contribute to a conversation for um, your program. And I, there are two people I've had the privilege of working with there in the SBDC, Scott Welchel Rance. Um, as well, who is no longer there. However, that place rocks. It's really cool, and it's awesome to know that you guys are in there doing your program. So I just want to say big thumbs up, and it's really quality. It's a classy, classy, quality um, um, place for people to come in, learn, grow, and um, just go to the next level. Yeah, and uh, I love the one building. I think it's cool. And I remember visiting Jamie when she used to be in the 
old building over on the falls. Yep. So they were both both is that good. Over by, like, like Nexon Pruitt, the old. Yep. Is that where it was? Yep. That's okay. where we were for, I guess, four years. Yeah. 2010 mm. through 2014. Yeah. So, um, but I, I love the new space. I've had the opportunity to be in it um, for different events, community events, and also for different things with the MBA program. Uh, but today we're going to be having a conversation around innovation in education. And uh, I know that education and rise in technology and innovation. These are all really big topics right now, I think throughout uh, the United States for sure, but also in the world. So I guess I'm going to kick it off with a question that I would love to hear what you guys think. So how is the rise in technology continuing to change the collegiate world and the world of education in general? Well, I think that with the rise of technology, it's up to us to kind of keep up and see what that next piece is in terms of delivery for our students and what our students really want to consume. But I think it's interesting, too, that you started off talking about our space, because I think that our space is pretty innovative. And we were really careful about planning out that space and making sure that it was conducive to a good learning environment for our students so that they could be more innovative in that way. Um, but I think when it comes to technology, it's really up to us to stay on the forefront of all of that to make sure that we are delivering in the way that our students best want to consume. Yeah, it's interesting that you start with that question. We've been thinking about this for a couple of years now, and we really believe that that uh, education is going to be uh, delivered much differently, and the expectations of students will be much different in the near future. Uh, for instance, we think um, that there's going to be a blurring of lines, whether there's if you're on-site or off-site consuming the product, that students are going to want to pick how they learn, whether that's in some kind of asynchronous so that you don't have to be there at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday to consume that, that lecture. There, but you might want to be there and be a part of that, whether you're on-site or not. So it's going to be important in the future that you infuse technology, even for students that are in the classroom personally. So the digital assets that you'll create, the lectures, the things like this podcast, um, other things that you can bring to the experience will kind of make the lines go away, whether it's online education versus in-person education. And that's happening now. And I think that's incredible because I was a bored college student in the 80s. <laughs> so when I look at that, I go, man, this is just so cool because what the internet has to offer. So like, how do you collect, you know, what do you do for, you know, vetting this information? How do you collect the data for, um, you know, what works best or at least what you think works best? But then also what's the continuous improvement of that in order to make sure that you are putting it in the you know proper ways for delivery and all that. Not just that, oh, well, we think this is best. Like, what are you doing to put together that program as it relates to them, but also as it relates to what you believe are going to be the things that will be very instrumental for them to have a very successful and um, you know productive future? Well, it's there. There is uh, there are a lot of best practices out there, and, and it's interesting 
the consumption of education uh, happens best when you have some degree of flexibility and a kind of a hybrid mode. Hmm. So we're, we're looking at ways, we, we do two concentrations now that are online and, and delivered during residency weekends uh, already. And what we're finding is that students like to have this, this uh, ability to get together and interact in person, but they love the convenience of having online components. And so uh, to, to answer your question, we're, we're doing, we hope to launch our online program uh, in the fall of 2019. And we're going through a process of actually surveying classes now that are consuming it in person and online, and we're gonna look for those tools that, that best deliver the content, that create satisfaction and learning outcomes that we expect and that the students expect. So we're, we're kind of trying to, to figure all that out now because there's, there's really no one roadmap to uh, quality education. And I know um, for me, I was really fortunate. I went back and got my MBA when I was um, still working in banking. And um, for me, who is a theater major, it was a great way as someone who moved into business to sort of round out my education. And what happened was about halfway through my program, I moved across the country. And so I was really fortunate because the school that I went to, they had classes online and so I could finish and I wasn't just left to, you know, figure out what to do now. So I love the fact that a lot of the larger institutions and kind of that are more well-known than where I got my MBA are starting to to offer that programming. Um, but I, I think it's really cool also when you can figure out how to combine online and classroom because, and I don't know about either of your experience, but the online classes a lot of times really forced you a little bit more to get your arms around the material because there wasn't somebody, you couldn't just go and listen to somebody talk for a couple hours. Yeah, it's interesting. And we hear both from students because we have the students that choose to come to get their MBA at Clemson because they want to be in person mm -hmm. and they want to have that interaction with the professor and with their students, with the other students in the room. Um, but then we also have situations like you had where somebody gets a job transfer um, or, you know, somebody's a CPA. So the spring is just nuts and they don't, you know, they're not able to balance it all. So that flexibility is an interesting piece that they're looking for. Um, but I think I think going back to the Clemson brand, I think that's a huge piece of who we are as the experience, and we don't want to lose that through an online option. And I think so far, yeah, it's it's been good. I agree. The challenge, is, and, and Jamie and I have had conversations about how do we provide the same level of support to those students that are off-site, you know, career services being a, an example of that, which is what Jamie runs for our program it's really important that those students in Charleston or across the United States or elsewhere have access and figuring out how you uh, automate and, and make digital some of those experiences so that you really get a Clemson experience is uh, a challenge as well. So that's part of our, what we're trying to do is to make sure that all of these pieces, the convenience factors there with the online education and the technology makes it uh, possible, but that's not all the students are paying for. So uh, I think we have to be very cognizant of, of how you do that um, going forward. Mm -hmm. 
And so, um, and not to shift gears too much here, but um, going out and doing just a little bit of research on my own in terms of education and the way that technology and innovation is sort of shaping the future of education, but also right now, um, I'm going to read just this excerpt and then I'd like to hear your thoughts on it. So in the past, education was about teaching people something. Now it's about helping students develop a reliable compass and the navigation skills to find their own way through an increasingly uncertain, volatile, and ambiguous world. A generation ago, teachers could expect that what they taught would last for a lifetime of their students. Today, schools need to prepare students for more rapid economic and social change than ever before, for jobs that have not yet been created, to use technologies that have not yet been invented, and to solve social problems that we do not yet know will arise. What are your thoughts on that? It creates a challenge Mm -hmm. for um, higher education. I think that um, you've heard, I'm sure, the, the term flipped classroom, and that's a, a process where professors choose to assign lecture content that was traditionally delivered in the classroom outside of the classroom. So they, they often use MOOCs that are available that have been recorded by perhaps Harvard uh, professors or professors at the University of Chicago, etc. And they ask the students with, through a framework of, of um, content to go listen to this lecture and then let's come back into the classroom and have a conversation about what it means, how you use it, how you use it to solve problems. And it's a challenge. And what we're finding is not only is that the direction I think that education is going, but that it's not going to be comfortable for the students either. Um, we had a conversation with a young man that was experiencing this kind of flipped classroom and wanted the lecture, wanted the comfort of having a professor deliver this content, even though it had been assigned and he had reviewed it just because he would have access to that professor and could ask the questions if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. So this whole process of education is going to require on our side, faculty side, that faculty be open to new ways of delivering content, but it's also going to require that the students learn how to learn again. And I think from a corporate relations standpoint, from my end, it's a beautiful thing because it's teaching critical thinking skills and communication skills by flipping the classroom and kind of putting it on the students in terms of figuring out what it is, which is exactly what they're going to have to do when they get to the real world and are working full time. So I think it's a really good exercise for our students to get that experience now so that when they're working full time, they've been there, done that. But what about the community? Like how do these people also figure out that if they can't come to campus, they can't be a part of it. It's not just Clemson, which I think is an amazing school. Like, what, what advice do you give to them to say, do they create meetups? What are different things that they can do around those? Because the next generations, that's what they're looking for. Or even in an older generation, like, you know, I'm, in, I'm, I'm not going to tell you how old I am, but I'm in this area where, you know, I would like it that I could do things on my own, be self-directed, learn a little bit and grow, and then come back to, like, maybe there's a meetup where I'm able to, like, talk to some people and just exchange ideas, almost like a mastermind type feeling. What does that look like in the paradigm of the type of stuff that you're doing? 
So you, the, the challenge that you've outlined is critical in all kinds of education. It doesn't have to be just online um, education. Online, because of the remoteness of those individuals, it is highlighted. So what we have felt for a long time is that you have to get involved in community and you, you need, the classes need to have an experiential component to it. Hmm. And so getting the students, and we've got a number of examples of classes that actually link back to the community where students do uh, work for individual businesses or nonprofits. And I don't think there's any substitute for that. Right. Um, but the connection that we are now able to create through technology, the platforms that exist, it's almost as if the person is there. And, and in fact, they need to get used to not physically sitting across the table from an individual because a lot of the work they're going to do will be with people Correct. in India yeah. and elsewhere. Right. And so the tools create opportunities that it's, it's, this connection is so good that you can have conversations and you can reach people and you, you feel like you're a part of a solution set uh, in person today, even with this kind of remote location that students or students find themselves. Yeah. And I think something that we're mindful of going forward is we want our students to specifically in the MBA program, I don't ever want them to think they're just another number. Mm -hmm. It's really important to us to kind of develop this community and this family, but that's the Clemson brand in general. Clemson does a really good job of you know, having that buy-in from alumni, which has been great for us. Um, so, so that is going to be a huge goal for us going forward is as we expand and grow and launch more online offerings, how can we make everybody feel like they're still a piece of the family and not just a number? And I think we have to attribute some of that to our strong alumni network. I mean, currently we're doing some key city partnering where we're going to Atlanta, Charlotte, Charleston, uh, Columbia, and we're doing these higher Clemson events where we're bringing in Clemson alums, we're bringing in employers, and we're kind of at the same time recruiting to see if people are interested in, in coming um, to receive their MBAs in, in, in these types of ways that we're talking about. So um, I think as long as we keep kind of presence in some of these cities where we where we have the, the largest interest, that will help with that. Um, and I don't even know what the statistic is, but I know that we, we spoke recently about a lot of students, even if they are consuming online or wanting to consume online, they're, they're local. The majority of the people are local and they're really not coming from other areas of the country too. So, um, so that's something that we'll have to keep an eye on and make sure that where we are getting the most students from that will be sure to have a, have a presence in the community because that's a huge piece for us. Well, and I think just going along with that, the whole idea of building community, that's been a really important topic, I think, not just for educators and institutions, but really for, for any business. I mean, um, social media has made us all so much more connected, so much more accessible. Um, and, and, and I think some of that is true connection, but you know, there, there is this really big ability to build community online. So I, I like that idea of thinking, you know, how do we take that online experience and bring it more sort of in the flesh or into reality? Because I think that 
as we continue, you know, this whole topic of technology and as we continue to be more connected, I mean, we all walk around with computers in our pockets. How do we make sure that we're having that true one-on-one human connection and not just, you know, feeling like we're connected um, with other people in the digital space? So, I mean, obviously, there's so many great things that innovation brings and that technology brings to the world and to education. I mean, we've got, um, you know, AI, artificial intelligence. There's a lot of things that um, are being automated more out there in the business world. And um, we have, you know, things, we can process things faster. We can get things faster. We have incredible access to knowledge. So in your opinion, what do you think are, the biggest challenges, or maybe even what are some of the negatives um, that you see that have maybe come along with just this continued um, improvement in technology? I'll talk all day about this. (laughs) (laughs) It's communication. You know, I hear it. I hear it. Hold on. I need to pause here. This is not an uphill conversation, so I can say this. Say that word again. Should I say it slower? Please play it, play it slower and like it's the only word you get to say today. Communication. <laughs> Thank you. No, like literally I would pay I would pay someone to go out there and say, guess what we get to do today? Communicate. Like literally I would take wealth and invest in just that. Like literally. Well, come take my class. <laughs> Tim, I'll sign you up. You'll sign me up? Can I come? <laughs> yes. Am I too old? No. Right. Not at all. <laughs> I would love it. But do you, I'm, I'm, I just stopped that because I, I love mm-hmm. that. Everything to me is about communication. True, honest, authentic, clear, shared. Like it's connected. Like all of that. Like I am on. That is like to me, I want it to be my rest of my life journey. It's, I mean, it, it became actually evident to me the first time I got in the classroom and I was excited and I had my questions ready and I had 50 faces looking at me and I asked this question and it's crickets and I was like oh gosh you know I'm terrible at this <laughs> and oh, so no. I remember calling my dad who was a college professor that night and you know this was still this was in 2010 and um I said dad I'm not good at this what's wrong with me he's like it's not you it's them think about it all they do now is text so he kind of had to adapt his style. And he, you know, he's coming from from very old school, you know, techniques where he would just expect everybody to talk. So he had to adapt. So I was like, okay, well, that's that's an interesting thought. So I made it a part of the class to um, make sure that everybody had to talk. And now they have to pitch themselves in front of panels of hiring managers and really put themselves in situations for the class to have to meet people that they wouldn't necessarily have met and ask questions Um, two people, I have them do an informational interview where they have to reach out to a complete stranger by themselves through LinkedIn or, or whatever, um, form. And it has to be somebody either in a functional area that they're interested in working in or working for a company that they're interested in and just interview them. Mm -hmm. And you know how easy that is. All you say is, well, tell me, tell me about how you got to where you are. And then you just sit back and let the magic happen. You don't really have to do anything. And they don't realize that till they put themselves in that situation. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's funny that we're talking about this now. I actually had a student stop by my office last week and he thanked me for making him kind of step outside of his comfort zone and said that he's really taking 
taking some some action on the side to do this and how easy it's been. He's like, people will meet with me and people want to hire me. And it's it's interesting to to think how easy it is if you think about it. It's just communicating with people and and building relationships really at the end of the day. I'm I'm from the school of Amy Cuddy, Fake It Till You Make It. So I don't know if you've read her book, Presence, or mm-hmm. if you've seen her TED Talk. But mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that you put yourself in a situation that you're uncomfortable in at first. You just fake it until all of a sudden it becomes who you are. It's just like public speaking. I, I would just, um, it, it, when we talk about this, uh, I teach a sales and communications class for our uh, entrepreneurial students. And it's interesting how difficult it is to uh, network for students and I think it's it's easy uh, for some people it's really hard for other people and so the idea that that Jamie puts all the students in a situation where they have to pitch who they are I think is you, you can't understate how important that is because for a lot of folks it's not easy to do and it's it's hard to make that first step. And the, the other thing I'll say is, is communication, and this is back to the sales class again, what, what we try to make sure the students understand is that when you're out in a sales call, the less you say is usually better. You, you've got to learn how to listen really well to be an effective communicator. Mm-hmm. And that's another skill set that, you know, is kind of gone by the wayside and being really good listeners, I think, is important as well. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think that it's just, I love that communication because, you know, I, I don't know if I was telling you this, but, um, there was another mom friend and I, and we were talking about, um, a babysitter who was, I think 14 and this babysitter, she, she needed to get something from her. So she called her and she had been texting her and the girl didn't answer. And she actually texted back. I'm sorry. I didn't answer your call. I don't talk to adults on the phone. (laughs) And you're just like, Okay. I mean, and this is, this is a 14 year old girl. I mean, this girl is in, in high school at this point. So I think to Jamie's point and, and you, Greg, it's just getting so much more important that we make sure that we make that a part of educating people to get them ready to step into the real world because not everything can happen online. So on that whole topic of communication and and helping, um, you know, and these are MBA students, right, that we're bringing out, you're helping with this this piece. So increasingly, and especially in, you know, our world of leadership development, we hear about the need for more advanced skills um, for young people, the soft skills, right? So um, we've got people, you know, coming into organizations and, and companies wanting to teach people things like emotional intelligence or problem solving. So how can schools and, you know, at the MBA level, but even at, you know, before that, how can, what are your suggestions on how we can do a better job teaching those things to young people before they get to the point where they're starting at their first job out of college and all of a sudden being hit with, okay, you need to work on your emotional intelligence. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a great point. We do a lot of um, we do a lot of that in the classroom and outside of the classroom. The good news is when it's inside the classroom, the students will absolutely show up and be there. Um, so we have a creativity and business class. We have an advanced leadership class that I know some of that is is peppered into. We also have a career management class that we kind of go through that of what companies are looking for. 
But then we also offer outside of the classroom, we have what we call an MBA plus program. And with that, it's um, kind of Excel skills, Adobe skills, but then we also do professional development Fridays. We don't have classes on Fridays. So we do some professional development workshops and some of those mm -hmm. topics that you're talking about, um, whether we'll put them on ourselves or we'll invite somebody from the community, um, a business professional to come in and just talk about their experiences from that. So uh, I'll offer some opinions uh, about what happens earlier than, you know, college and maybe what parents, um, I've got two boys that are, are grown and out of the house and um, have had an opportunity to kind of watch this whole thing uh, take place in terms of their maturation and that kind of thing. I, I just feel like we, emotional intelligence occurs um, in a kind of fluid state, you, you don't go to emotional intelligence class, but you certainly identify those that, that, that are empathetic and understand the plight of others and can hear what people are saying. And I don't think it comes from organized sports necessarily, where the only experience the kids get are experiences that the, that the parents drive and the, the situations that they find themselves are very rigid. And I think it's good to look back, you know, several decades ago when there, there wasn't quite that kind of rigid development uh, of, of young people going through starting as early as six years old and continuing all the way through high school. So as, as parents, maybe finding opportunities to have your kids grow outside of those kinds of situations. I wish we had done more of that with our boys. I think it's really important, and, and we should have this conversation about how do you develop these soft skills earlier, and, mm -hmm. and how do you go about doing that? That's interesting that you say that. So now my wheels are spinning because – I'll let you guys know in about 16-ish years how it went with my um, experiment. But every day when I pick the girls up from school, so I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old, I had to say, what was the best thing that happened to you today? And then my next question is always, what did you do that was kind for somebody today? To kind That's of great... have them start thinking about other people and kind of that those soft skills. So I'll let you know in a few years. Okay. <laughs> What I what I like to tell people the best way for you to it's just two things. I mean, they're very advanced, but it's social in itself. And if you can help them with that, you know, and giving kids and it's a problem to solve instead of answers to remember. I think even as adults, the people that I may sit with in certain situations, they usually have an answer, and it usually comes from somebody else. It's something somebody else has said. Or, hey, you should work on this. Or, hey, here's a piece of advice for you. And I think that's great that you consider those things. But I think it's mostly it needs to come from inside of you. And the thing that should dictate direction is that inside stuff, right? So I love what you're saying. Like, I love those those two questions are great. It's like your high-low. What did you do intentionally? Most people don't even know. People do more life reactionally. They respond Maybe they react. Absolutely. They decide unconsciously like that's where most of those things are cataloged. And I know it's kind of a little deeper talk than what <laughs> maybe we want to go into, but I just like, 
you know, the fact that this is all part of consideration Mm -hmm. in developing those things. Because I believe also, even when I was just thinking back on this whole self-directed and things like that, it allows the people, it allows people to say, Hey, look, this is my self side. And then eventually they get put into some social sides. And if we can get the best of those worlds, man, it would be such a better place to live. I mean, you know, I mean, I love the world today, but man, it would be so good. Yeah. It'd be great. I agree. Our whole show is uphill conversations, and and so your current condition can't match your emerging future. And most people are always trying to get to somewhere else, but you can't go uphill with downhill habits. That's just the way it is. So as you have doing your uphill, you know you've been doing your uphill climb. Um, I reached, you saw this par- I saw this parody where this guy was riding a bike, and nobody wanted to be in the front, so they all drove slow because nobody wanted everyone else drafting off of them. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, that can be like life sometimes. But when you're just hitting the hill and doing the things that you do, what are some what what's a you know an uphill journey um, that you've had to face and climb recently, and what did you guys do to overcome it? Doesn't have to be like this big monumentous thing. It's just hitting the hill and climbing the hill and just doing it. Well, I'll I'll share. It's, this is uh, personal, but um, uh, it's been amazing. We had our first grandbaby um, in January, and Miles is a wonderful uh, young man, and he has Downs, and so that experience of the shock and trying to grapple with what's coming in the future has created such clarity about what's important. Um, and you, you know, it's, it, it's been an interesting, I guess, eight or nine months to see total acceptance of my son and daughter-in-law of, of, um, miles and, uh, the growth that, I'm 60, and this is a brand new experience for me, and it's been a wonderful uh, journey, and a lot of the things I'm learning uh, will make me a much better person going forward. So I'm thankful that um, we have Miles. Miles is a sweet, sweet little boy. So um, It's powerful. Yeah, yeah. For me... um, you know, something something along the personal lines, too, is um, I am dealing with a um, being a caretaker for a parent now. So my father has Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, I talked about my father earlier. So my dad has always kind of been like the greatest person in the world to me. And he's not there anymore. You know, it's not him. He's there, but it's not him. So, um you know, it's been it's been interesting to try and navigate that within the past. The diagnosis he's been diagnosed now for a little over a year, um, so we've moved him into memory care. He's in a really good spot right now, but you have those moments of, um, you know, what more could I do, or what you know, what does he need? Because he can't tell you anymore. And so it always goes back, I think with both of our stories, you know, it goes back to people. And at the end of the day, no matter what is available in terms of technology, no matter what is available, um, you know, with, with all this great stuff that we have access to, it's the people that mean the most and make the biggest difference in our lives. Well, thank you guys so much for, for sharing uh, the personal side. Um, I, I think that 
it's really wonderful to be able to see you and hear you both talk about two tough situations with so much love and care. Uh, and I think that that just speaks a lot um, to who you are. So um, I guess I'm curious and I would love to know um, from each of you, what are three things that you're optimistic about over the next 12 months? Jamie? Don't make me say it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, let's see. I'm I'm eternally optimistic about people finding the good in others. So I would hope that that would continue and that people will look for the good in others. That is a great question. Um, well, I you know I think that um, we moved to Greenville, I guess, a um, little less than a year ago. And um, this is such a great community. And uh, love being in downtown Greenville every day at work. I'm optimistic that Greenville will find ways to address their challenges as, as we continue to grow. It's really important that we that we uh, think about infrastructure, that we think about affordable housing, mm -hmm. that we create a place that's welcoming to everybody. And so I think that creates all sorts of challenges, but I'm optimistic that those conversations have started and um, will bear fruit in the future. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic about the spring semester. I mean, we have a lot coming up. We have... Um, some that's a really big recruiting season for us in terms of employer interest. And, um, so, so I'm, I'm excited. I always get excited. And, and I think the, the little hint, the, the little nudge to talk about the program we, we have, um, I know if I say it, nobody will believe it because I, I get to work with all the students and our, our folks, but we, we've had, we've had 14 semesters of growth, uh, which means that we're in a, a mature market MBA education is a mature market that's actually declining so we're doing something right um, that I expect that will continue to have success so I'm optimistic that we'll keep delivering quality education to the upstate and beyond in the future well, thank you both so much for spending time with us today. I know that our listeners are really going to enjoy um, the things that you've shared with us, both on the innovation and education side, as well as the personal side. So it would be great if you could let our listeners know how to connect with you and how to learn more about the program. So you can uh, always email me at pgregor, one word, p-g-r-e-g-o-r at clemson.edu. Uh, or swing by the one building. We're on the eighth floor and uh, always look forward to meeting new people, potential MBA students. And you can connect with me via my email. It's jpatty4. I didn't get an easy one. J-P-A-T-T-E, the number four at clemson.edu. Or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. Patty Four. Pat I did. I did Patty notice Four. Because when I did see it, the first time I was like, huh? Yeah. But I don't know. Is there like any method or any kind of I don't think there's anything? a method to the madness, but my brother in law's name is Jay Patterson. So I think he was the original Jay Patty at Clemson because he oh. went to Clemson. <laughs> so, so. Oh, so you kind of had to just fall in line. I, yeah, fall I got in line. line. <laughs> I got in line. Okay. 
<laughs> well, we don't know if um, uh, any of you are Clemson fans, but uh, they are actually going to be in the playoffs. So. Oh, yeah. Again. You know? It's exciting against Alabama again, third time in. E- well, for, for, okay. Fortunately, yeah. we have an easy first game. Oh, so, that's a good one, that's Alabama. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hope you're right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, those of you listening, you heard what was said, and I did not say it. I'm just going to watch. So, this has been another episode of Uphill Conversations. Always remember, you can be more, do more, and have more. Know your reasons for being, doing, and having are for you to figure out, and for no one else. Always remember your current condition does not match your emerging future, and it never will. And if anything is worth having, it is uphill, but you cannot go uphill with downhill habits. But most importantly, what you are going to see, you're going to see people like me, Jamie, and Greg, and Megan on the hill. You've been listening to Uphill Conversations. If you'd like to hear more, subscribe to the show at uphillconversations.co. See you on the hill.